Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'd like to welcome you to Kevin McDonald Presents. My intention for this show is to entertain, educate, empower, and enlighten all of us by presenting interesting topics, great guests, and positive energy. I hope you'll stay with us because this hour on Kevin McDonald Presents. Do you have any idea what you were doing before you were born? Were you planning what you were going to do here? Well, tonight, we're going to talk about it. Rob Schwartz, author of Courageous Souls, is with us, and we're going to talk about how you set up your life and how you're living it today. We'll be right back after these messages. Please stay with us. And who is that we're listening to, youngster? <laughs> That's Leon Bushwacket, but I'm my sinuses have got me all clogged up, and I'm forgetting <laughs> buttons today. So. Oh well, you know it's that medication that they give you. I actually, I don't even take anything for it. I gave you an out, and you didn't take oh. it. You should have said, oh, I know. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Tom is with me today, and uh, my name again is Kevin McDonald, and you're listening to KKNW, and this is Late Night on KKNW, and we've got a terrific show for you tonight, so I hope that you'll hang with us for, and for certainly for the first hour. Tonight, we're going to talk with, and we're you sitting here in the studio with me, so we get to talk right now with uh, Rob Swartz. He's written the book, Courageous Souls, Do We Plan Our Life Challenges? Before birth, I happen to think that that is one of the paramount questions in our lives because it also feeds into why are we here and what are we doing and all of that. And is it random or is it real? So I'd like to introduce Rob to our audience right now. He has written the book, again, Courageous Souls. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's awesome to have you here. I heard you yesterday on another radio station or yeah, it was the day before yesterday, and uh, um, and on the on the Dave Ross show, and so I just had to have you here because this this work is I think so important for our understanding of why we're here and what we're doing here, and uh, so. But before we go into the book itself, I'd like to talk a little bit about you. Sure. Um, you, you you've been doing this work for decades and decades, right? No, it's been only four years now. And what, you know, we talk a lot here about passion and about living your passion, living your dreams. What inspired you? What, was there an event that, that happened that changed who you were to go in search of something different? There was an event. I was living in Evanston, Illinois in 2003. I was a self-employed marketing and communications consultant, and I was profoundly unfulfilled by the work I was doing. I felt that if I fell off the face of the earth, None of my clients would notice. Nobody would miss me. They would just plug somebody else into my role. That's a good feeling. Yeah, it was wonderful. And so in my search for greater meaning, I did something that uh, I had never thought of doing before and had never known anyone to do before. I went to see a psychic medium. And in this session, the medium introduced me to the concept of spirit guides, highly evolved non-physical consciousnesses with whom we plan our lives and who guide us through those lifetimes after we incarnate. Through the medium, I was able to speak with mine and they told me, you planned many of your greatest challenges before you were born. And of course, at that point, I said, well, why in the world did I do that? <laughs> and they said, you did it for purposes of spiritual growth. Well, I was astounded by this. And as I thought about it in the weeks and months after the session with the medium, I realized I was onto something that could help people to reframe the challenges in their lives. Because so often when something bad happens, we see no deeper purpose to it. And the fact that we see no deeper purpose makes the suffering more intense. And I thought, I have something here 
that can help people see meaning in challenges that appear to have no meaning, and in so doing, lighten their suffering. Well, we tend to think of life as one random act followed by another random act, and especially when bad things happen. We would hate to think that we planned that. I don't think there are any accidents. I think either we've planned the things that happen to us or we draw them to us vibrationally, energetically after we incarnate, but I don't think anything happens by accident. So if our lives are planned for us, then can we manipulate that plan while we're here? Or is that something that, is there a certain finality to it when we lock it in from before we get here? We live in a dimension of free will, which means that at any point, at any time, we are free to deviate from the pre-birth plan. You can always choose not to follow the plan. You can always choose to stick to the plan. It's up to us. Now, are there consequences or repercussions or, or bad things happen to you if you don't follow the plan? Well, I think what happens is that if you've planned something that is very important for the growth of your soul, it tends to come back around. So you can choose to avoid it or push it aside or run from it, but your spirit guides are working to bring you the challenges that you agreed to experience for your own growth. And this is why people often say that there are themes in their lives in which the same type of challenge tends to keep coming back and keep coming back. And very often it comes back in a more intense form each time until you experience it and learn whatever it is it has to offer you. Yeah, I know lots of, uh, example, female friends of mine, that they date a different guy in the same suit. And it keeps coming back, same guy, you know, different guy, but the same challenges over and over until they finally get it. Well, it's almost like the universe is hitting you over the head with a cosmic two-by-four, and it will do that until you wake up and learn what you're supposed to learn. So would you recommend then that, if somebody is in one of these repeating patterns, that they sit down and start analyzing what they could be doing differently? That's one approach, but I, I've sort of moved away from intellectual analysis, and I encourage people to interpret things more through the heart. In other words, more with your intuition. I conceive of intuition as a direct communication from our souls. So in your example, if a woman were dating a man and she were unsure about whether or not he were right for her, She could sit down and intellectually analyze with her mind, make a list of pros and cons. But I think that that's often of limited value. Another approach would be to meditate, quiet your mind, listen to your intuition, actually ask your soul, is this the right relationship for me? And then rather than approach it with thought, approach it with feeling. What kind of feeling comes over you when you think about this relationship, when you ask your soul, is it right for you? And you feel this often in... um, the solar plexus area. You get a feeling of rightness or you get a feeling of wrongness. I think that that is a direct communication from the soul. And that is the soul's way of helping you through the bumps and hurdles that we face. I believe that's correct. I think also angels can communicate with us through feeling. Spirit guides can communicate with us through feeling. Feeling is a form of knowing. And in our logic-based culture, uh, it's often underappreciated and undervalued. But other societies around the world have, uh, I think, a better understanding of the value of intuition and feeling. And I think we would be well served to develop that. I, I, I couldn't agree more because a lot of us believe that if, you know, feelings are secondary, that we discount them. We go through our lives discounting mm-hmm. what we're actually feeling, and then we end up someplace that we really would rather not be. Well, that's exactly right. That's why in Courageous Souls, I, I often use the hyphenated term feeling knowing, where feeling is a form of knowledge. Where did you get the uh, title Courageous Souls? Do we plan our life challenges before birth? 
Well, the courageous souls part was very obvious to me because I believe that it takes a great deal of courage, not so much to plan a life, but to actually live the plan that was created. The courage is really in the living of the life plan on the physical plane. The subtitle, Do We Plan Our Life Challenges Before Birth?, I wanted to pose the question because I think that many people have not thought about this idea before, and I didn't want to use a subtitle that presented it as um, an already accomplished fact or an already known fact. I wanted to say to someone who looks at the cover, here's a question you might want to think about, and if this question intrigues you, perhaps pick up this book. And when you started doing the research for this book, tell us how this book came into being. Well, when I decided to write the book, my first thought was, there must be people out there who have memories of planning their lives. And we have the internet now. I'll just use the internet to find these people. I later was told by a medium who I consider to be completely reliable that 99.44% of the world's population has no memories of anything prior to birth. Now, this means that 0.56% have some memory. It's a small percentage, but a large absolute number. So when I heard that, I thought, well, surely I can find some of those 0.56%. I posted notices all over the Internet asking for people who had memories from pre-birth to contact me. And I heard from a lot of people with a lot of interesting memories, but they weren't memories of planning their lives. They were memories of other incarnations in the, in, on planet Earth or other incarnations on other planets. Very often they were memories of non-physical lifetimes. But I simply could not find people who remembered planning the current incarnation. And so at that point, I sort of threw up my hands and, and I said to the universe, I can't do this alone, help me. And Spirit went to work and very quickly brought me into contact with the four mediums who I ended up collaborating with on the book. And it turns out, not coincidentally, that these four mediums have exactly the collection of skills and abilities that I needed in order to access information about people's pre-birth plans. In particular, there's one who has the ability, Stacy Wells, to actually see and hear the conversations we have with one another in our pre-birth planning sessions. And as you can imagine, this was exactly the information I was looking for. And that's a surprise, isn't it? You ask the universe to deliver and the universe delivered for you. The universe works miracles all the time. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, the uh, we talk about the secret a lot and and the power of intention and what you're able to do with that. And that And this book is exactly through the power of intention. Well, there's no way I, working as an individual, could have found these people on my own. I, I know that there were non-physical consciousnesses who were bringing us together, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. Why do you suppose that, I mean, we've been around for eight, ten thousand 10,000 years of recorded history. It seems to me that, that lately, in the last five, ten years, there's been a lot more talk about this. A lot, uh, it's like the, the, the veil is thinning. Um, why do you think that is? I think we live in a time of widespread spiritual awakening and that this was what we wanted to experience by coming here. You know, we could have chosen to incarnate, um, for example, before books existed, and we could have chosen to incarnate in a location where we wouldn't be exposed to spiritual concepts. If we wanted lifetimes like that, we wouldn't incarnate now because spirituality, metaphysical concepts are readily available to anyone who looks for them. And I think this is part of the larger plan. We chose to incarnate in a time when we can remember that we are spiritual beings. Is this also part of the, because, well, let me ask you, because prior to 2003, 
did you su- subscribe to the to the uh, uh, idea of reincarnation at all? Is that uh, was that a new concept for you? I knew of reincarnation. I believed in it, but I never thought much about it. I was very spiritual prior to two thousand three, but I knew very little about metaphysical concepts, and I wasn't particularly interested in them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I was listening to your interview with uh, the other guy over at Cairo. And uh, he, he was talking about something about if you were bad, would you come back as a slug? Um, and I almost drove off the road because, that, <laughs> see, to me, that that is like, um, that's a fairly, I would say, it's a fairly uninformed idea of what reincarnation is. And that's, and that's how a lot of people who don't believe in it think that it actually works. It really doesn't work like that at all, does it? No, the, the reasons why we incarnate... Um one of the main reasons is for a karmic balancing. You know, we may have unresolved energies with people that we shared previous lifetimes with. Uh, we reincarnate for healing from previous lifetimes. We reincarnate to be of service to others. This is a very common theme. We plan lifetimes in which we can serve our brothers and sisters. And probably the most common reason for reincarnation is that it leads to a more profound self-knowing. What I mean by that is that my research indicates that heaven, if you want to use that term, is very much as it is classically portrayed. It's a realm of great love and light and peace and joy. Now, in such a realm, we experience no contrast to ourselves. In other words, we can't come to fully know and appreciate who we are because there's no contrast to point that out to us. So we come here to the physical plane, a realm of duality, meaning up, down, left, right, good, bad, hot, cold, because there's plenty of contrast here, and it's through contrast that we remember who we really are. And we can grow. That's exactly right. It's it's real hard to grow when everything is going really swimmingly well. That's true. There, there's a, one of the channelings in the book is an angel, and uh, the angel says something along the lines of, uh, "Your plant, your planet is experiencing a systems breakdown. Uh, the chaos that you are experiencing is fertile ground, indeed the most fertile ground for growth." And I think that's correct. That's 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 pretty interesting. Now, in the book, how is it laid out? You've got stories of different different people, right? The book is is organized by type of life challenge. Each chapter looks at a particular challenge. So, I examine physical illness, having handicapped children, uh, deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, the death of a loved one, and severe accidents. And in each of those chapters, I interview either one or two people who talk about the the um, life challenge. And then the interviewees have between one and three sessions with psychic mediums in which we pose the question, did this person plan this challenge before he or she was born, and if so, why? And then we allow spirit guides to talk, we allow deceased loved ones to talk. In some cases, people's souls are channeled and they tell us directly why certain things were planned. And we go into the pre-birth planning sessions where we listen in on the conversations that people have with their future partners, their future children, their future parents, when they're planning these challenges together in spirit, and we find out exactly why people chose these experiences. Why would somebody choose, like alcoholism is, is, is a great example, or drug addiction? You'd think that would be kind of like an accident. Yeah, it's a choice that we make here, and it's free will, and it's a, a choice that we have. But you're telling me that, that in some cases, they we set this up as a pre-birth program. That's exactly right. In that chapter, there are two stories. One is that of a mother and a son who planned his heroin addiction before either one of them was born. And the other story is about alcoholism. Now, in that case, there's a gentleman, Pat, who planned before birth to experience several decades of alcoholism. 
The reason he did this is that he had had several previous incarnations in which he lost touch with God, with his spirituality, with his identity as a spiritual being. And when he had his life review, he realized that he had lost touch with this sense of himself as a spiritual being. And he said, okay, I would like to plan an incarnation in which something happens that will, in his case, literally drive him to his knees and he will rediscover his connection with God. And this is exactly what happened. He went through decades of alcoholism and one night he was at home, uh, he got drunk, he passed out, he came to on his knees, he'd had enough, he'd reached the absolute low point, and he called out to God and asked God for help. And he says he felt God's, God's presence in that moment, and his life turned around from that point on. So he used alcoholism as a tool, as a life challenge, to rediscover his spirituality. You know, and there are a lot of folks that go through drug addiction and alcoholism that, that they do hit that bottom at one point, and then, then they can begin to li- live their lives. Now, is, is that a lesson that they can carry, then carry forth to other lifetimes? It is. What, what I've found in my research over the past four years for Courageous Souls is that uh, what we learn here it becomes part of our souls literally forever. Um, you know, from the soul's perspective, a lifetime is as brief as a clap of thunder, and the suffering that we experience is very brief, very transient, and we're not harmed by it in any way. But the wisdom is literally eternal. Isn't that interesting? Because it seems like it takes a long time for us to live a life from our perspective. From the human perspective, especially if we're suffering, it seems to go on for a very long time. But from the soul's perspective, it's over in an instant. So what you're saying then is it's possible that, and you explain it in your book, that if you are blind or if you are deaf or if you are mentally challenged or physically handicapped, that that may be something that you set up to learn a particular lesson that and that you wouldn't otherwise have the ability to learn? Generally, that's true. What, what I found is that the greater the challenge and the longer it's in your life, the bigger part of your life it is, the more likely it is that you planned it before you're born. But keep in mind, it's not always planned for the growth of the person experiencing it. Sometimes it's an act of service to others, and the lessons are theirs, not the person who's facing the challenge. And so in the pre-planning, life pre-planning episode, you would then have had that conversation with the other person. And, and had set up the scenario? That's exactly correct. And many of those conversations are in the book. Wow, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. And so the four mediums and you, how would you do this? Would you sit around and, and, and kind of formulate these ideas? Or, or uh, how, did, how did that come about? Well, I decided first which challenges I wanted to look at. And then I posted messages on the Internet asking people who had experienced those challenges to contact me. Um, in some cases, I said that I was researching pre-birth planning. In some cases, I said that I just wanted to talk to people who had, uh, who understood the spiritual meaning of their challenges. And in some cases, I just said, I want to talk to somebody who's had this experience. So I had a wide mixture of people with different uh, backgrounds in metaphysics and spirituality. And that's what I wanted because it's representative of the population as a whole. You know, this book and the whole premise is really is new. Well, it's two things. It's really old and it's really new because in the Western culture, we've kind of lost it. Um, and what has been your response with people? Are they like, hey, well, that's cool. That's mm-hmm. kind of odd, but that's cool. Or are you being well, really well received with the information you're bringing out? For the most part, it's been very well received. People are very enthusiastic about it, but some are skeptical and some don't know what to make of it. And some just have no interest in metaphysical topics. Yeah, so well, if they figure they got it figured out, 
And if, if it's because it's in the Bible as an example and it says that's what the Bible says, then, then you don't have to think about it. That's correct. And, and so everything then becomes God's plan, and then you can divorce yourself of any responsibility for it because it's God's plan. Yeah, the, the reaction really has been all over the board, but for the most part, extremely enthusiastic. Um, I'm receiving emails on an almost daily basis now from people who have read the book and say that in some way it changed their life. And th- that's really why I did this, and it's very gratifying to hear that. And how so? How would it change somebody's life? What, what, get, what perspective would it change for them? Well, one of the most common uh, changes is forgiveness, because people understand that a lot of the roles that they consider to be negative are pre-scripted at their own request. So someone that they've blamed or someone that they feel a great deal of anger toward, once they understand that the challenge was planned with this person and that it was done out of love for their own growth, then forgiveness becomes possible. That's got to really be an odd concept for somebody that is having a real struggle with an individual and or, you know, even if they hate them and they've really had a tough time in this life and, and then they both die and then they meet again. It's totally different, isn't it? What happens when we return to spirit is that we meet up with the people who were our tormentors in this lifetime. And we have at that point instantly forgiven them because we remember who they really are. And we actually thank them for the role that they played because it stimulated our growth. Absolutely. So so basically then, if you look at this life and where we are, it's kind of like a, a great big stage play. Shakespeare said that, and I think he was All exactly right. All the world's right. a stage. And it is. Absolutely. Well, and how do we stop taking ourselves so seriously then? I think by realizing that we are on a stage, you know... It, I think we we tend to forget that in many respects we're actors playing roles. We believe that we are the role, and so we take the role very seriously. But when we remember that we are eternal souls just playing a temporary role in this lifetime, a role that we ourselves scripted, then it's possible not to take it so seriously. A question I've always had, when you start talking about your soul and you, your personality, I guess, how much of your soul is actually part of you in everyday life. Do you have any idea? I couldn't quantify that. My understanding is that the soul is vast, uh, virtually limitless. So a personality is a portion of a soul's energy in a physical body. But your soul could have dozens, maybe even hundreds of incarnations going on at the same time. Uh, it's, it's quite vast. That's, that, that would be complicated. That would be really complicated, trying to keep all of that organized. But apparently, apparently is up there. Complicated from a human perspective and for a human brain, but for the soul, which is unlimited, not so complicated. And it's a it, uh, it it's a fascinating subject. It's a fascinating subject. Of all the stories that are in your book, which was the one that attracted you the most, or which was the most life changing for you? Well, I I have a personal interest in the last story in the book, which is in the chapter on severe accidents. Uh, That's a story of a woman named Christina who, in 1969, when she was in her early 20s, was working as an administrative assistant at a college in Southern California. She went to the uh, basement mailbox to pick up her employer's mail. There was a pipe bomb in the mailbox, and when she touched it, it detonated, hurling her back 10 feet against a concrete wall, scorched her face, scorched much of her body. She lost a couple of fingers, both eardrums were ruptured, and ended up having 10 surgeries over the next couple of years. In her pre-birth planning session, and much to my surprise, I was there. And I went up to her after she had formulated this plan, and I said, my plan is to write this book 
and I would like to chronicle your story as part of the book. So she and I set this up before we were born. You know, that sounds like a Rod Sterling uh, of thing, of like the Twilight Zone. I could see that, though. Um, so, and that's how you met that individual. And how did you meet her? Did you, over we, the internet? we met through the internet, and she actually has the ability to channel one of her spirit guides. That's part of the story in the book. And in the channeling, I ask her spirit guide, how did Christina and I know that we would ever find each other in this lifetime? And the spirit guide's reply is that it's a sea of vibration, meaning that our frequencies brought us together. And that's how you knew. Yes. From the frequencies, and, and that was kind of an innate thing that uh, was just there. It was the frequencies, the vibration that brought us together. Now, we didn't actually know of the plan until we went into the pre-birth planning session with the medium, but that, that's how we came together, through vibration. That's 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 amazing. You know, we're we're going to go ahead and uh, and take a little break. But when we come back, I'd like to see if we can tackle some of the really really big issues, like why do bad things happen to good people, and and do you really plan your death, or is it all kind of random and stuff? And what about uh, major events like nine eleven and tsunamis and that sort of thing? Um, we're talking with Rob Schwartz. He's the the uh, author of Courageous souls do we plan our life challenges before birth go out and get it it's on my website we'll explain how to get it when we come back right after these messages please stay with us yeah that's very nice that's very nice that's got a really low bass very low bass oh yeah what that's the best end of the sound spectrum i think yeah, you know my 15-year-old son? I, yeah. I mentioned to him about the type of stuff that you do. Yeah. He gave me a blank stare. <laughs> so he, he's, a, he's a rock and roll kid. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the stuff that I grew up on. Yeah. I don't know. The, my musical tastes have been... Warped over the years? No, Not warped. I would like to say eclectic. Yeah. I like to say eclectic. <laughs> that's a very good way of putting that. <laughs> that's a good way of doing it. Excellent. Uh, Rob Swartz is our guest. Is our guest. Uh, there's a gal who I used to work with, and her name is Barb Swartz, so I'm, I get confused sometimes. And he's written the book, Courageous Souls, Do We Plan Our Life Challenges Before Birth? Uh, Rob, you have a website, yeah? www.courageoussouls.com. And if your listeners go to the About the Book page, there's a free PDF download with a large sample of the book. That would be a good way to get a preview of it. Absolutely. And you can go to my website because I added it to the recommended reading page, and you can order it from there. It's a, it's, it's a great book. It's got lots of really mind-changing and, I think, perception-changing ideas behind it. Thank you. Because I think that if you understand... That first of all, you've been here before, you get to be here again, that it's all part of one continuum, that it's not a matter of life and death, whatever happens here today, then it opens you up to be able to experiment a little bit more, doesn't it? I, I think it's very liberating in that sense, yes. And uh, even, even when those bad things happen, then we have a tough time. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? We, we really have a tough time with that. But, but a lot of those are set up ahead of time, aren't they? Many of those experiences are set up ahead of time. And from the perspective of the soul, they aren't bad. You know, the soul views everything with complete neutrality. It's only here where we as humans judge things as good and bad. And, and that's really because we don't get to have the 50,000-foot view. We don't, but I think we can cultivate it. We can move in that direction. And that's really one of the goals of this book is to 
facilitate a shift in those who are interested in making it from personality body consciousness to soul consciousness. Indeed, because... Okay, explain the difference between the two. The difference is that most of us define ourselves as our bodies and as our personalities. But what if we define ourselves as the soul? And let's take an example from the book. In the chapter on accidents, there's a story of a young man, Jason Thurston, who was married, father of two young children. He was having a barbecue party in his backyard one summer a few years ago. He dove into his swimming pool, hit his head on the bottom of the pool, and was rendered quadriplegic in the accident. Now, if he believes that he is his body and that he is his personality and that he will cease to exist at the end of this lifetime, that would have to result, I would think, in abject despair. Because what is he looking at? Several decades of paralysis followed by non-existence. But what if he makes the shift to seeing himself as a divine, eternal soul? Now this lifetime becomes a blip in time and the suffering, though quite real and quite great, becomes transient. Now he knows that when this lifetime is over, he's going to go on, and he will have whatever wisdom he accrues as a result of the experience. That's a profound shift in self-identity and a tremendous reduction in the level of suffering. You know, the other thing, and it, that it, I think it helps people with other perceptions as an example. If you believe, and a lot of people commit, as in, they commit suicide because they want to get out of what the pain that they're in. And if they understood that they get to do it again or continue on their life path more than – because it's not an easy out, I guess is what I'm saying. No, my understanding is that that suicide is very, very rarely planned. Now, some people say, say it's never planned. That's not my understanding. I believe it is occasionally planned, but very rarely Most of the time when somebody commits suicide, they need to reincarnate quite soon thereafter, and they pick up where they left off. So there there isn't a dodging of the life challenges. It just gets to happen again. That's correct. And tell you because there are issues that are legitimate issues that your soul is learning to go through in in a few short circuit that. And also, by the way, you're screwing up a bunch of other life plans. If you, if you check out early and commit suicide, I would think. Well, that, that's absolutely correct. You probably have pre-birth agreements to be of service to a number of other people in many different ways. And if you're not here to do that, then those people have to go to a default plan. And that may not be quite what they were looking for. In your understanding, do is there reward, punishment, and things over there for stuff that we do here? I don't look at it in terms of reward and punishment. Um, you know, karma, which I think is what you're getting at, is really a neutral, impersonal law of the universe. Um, It's more a question of growth, of uh, deeper self-knowing, but not reward and punishment. Well, because, you see, there's there's a lot of us that have got this feeling that if something bad happens to us here and somebody else caused it, that we can then take vengeance on them or a God will take vengeance on them, or if we don't toe the line here, that we will be in trouble over there. Well, there is a karmic balancing that occurs on the physical plane, but the analogy I use in the book is that karma is like gravity. You know, if you trip and fall, you don't blame gravity, you don't feel victimized by gravity, you would not say, I am being punished by gravity. You understand that it's a neutral and impersonal law of the universe. Karma works in much the same way. It's not a reward or punishment. That's a really good way to look at it. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, you've thought about that. I have. Because we we tend to think of 
everything in terms of, of you know, if I've been a good boy or I've been a bad boy, if I've, I've been good or evil and that sort of thing. And a lot of the events that we that we talk about are done in, you know, in terms of good and evil. And um, but you said something on on the uh, that other radio show the other day that I want to touch on because I think it's really really important. Uh, major events that happen in the world where there's a large loss of life. Um, for instance, 9-11, and, and I'll pick on that one because I think that those, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that those people agreed to be there for the purposes of changing the consciousness of the world. I can't speak directly to 9-11 because I haven't researched it. My intuition tells me that you're probably correct about that. But a similar um, tragedy that I do know a little bit about is the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. That killed like 275,000 people. A huge loss of life. My understanding is that the souls who lost their lives in that tsunami knew that it was a possibility. It was part of their pre-birth plan. And their objective was that they wanted to raise the level of humanity's consciousness to a certain point. So when they were planning their lives, they said something along the following lines. They said, okay... If humanity's collective consciousness is not at a certain level at a certain time, we agree to give up our lives in this natural disaster because we know that it will result in a worldwide outpouring of love and compassion. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. So from the human perspective, we see the loss of life and we call it tragic. But from the soul vantage point, what really happened here was a tremendous outpouring of love and uh, an evolution, a raising of humanity's consciousness. In, in talking about death and and because we have got such an and such a uh, well such a fear of death, and I would say a groundless fear of death if you are looking from the fifty thousand foot view, but do, do the souls uh, are they do they fear death? Do they have compassion for us as as we're going through that and with the fear and all of that? Do you have any idea? I I don't believe that our souls fear death, but I I do know that they have great, great compassion for what we're going through. In fact, in in one of the channeling sessions, I was interviewing a woman's soul, and I asked that question. I said, when she suffers, do you suffer? And the soul's reply to me was, no, I do not suffer, but I feel great compassion for her suffering. Mm -hmm. And as, as we then, as human beings, as we learn and we grow, are our souls also gaining in power and in strength and and on the other side at that same time? I know that our souls are evolving up the evolutionary spiral. Now, exactly how they are evolving as a result of what we're doing and why they're evolving, those are topics for the next book and the book after that. Ah, how many books are there going to be? At least three. And so there'll be a trilogy. Possibly more. Ah, well, and I think I think it's fascinating work. Thank you. Um, and I applaud you for for taking it on because a lot of people would just go to the medium and then quit. Um, what what drove you to go to that next step to really go in search of it? There were a few things. One was that a knowledge of pre-birth planning really helped me to reframe my own challenges. So I could see the healing in my own life, and I thought I'd like to offer this to other people. Also, it was what I mentioned earlier, this desire for greater fulfillment. Um, Once I started down this path, it was so gratifying to me and so fulfilling, and I felt so much passion for it, I knew that this was my greater purpose in life. So what's changed in your life in the last four years? How has it changed you? Well, I, I think my relationships in general with people are much better. 
I think I have a greater appreciation for life, um, more gratitude for the blessings in my life. And in particular, when something quote-unquote bad happens to me, I don't tend to feel victimized the way I used to. Now I will stop and say to myself, okay, what's really happening here? What is the deeper purpose of this? And I'll look for the meaning. Is there a process that you use to do that? Because I know a lot of us, we get caught up in the details and never get there. Well, I think meditation is very important. Um, You know, I say in the book that a logical analysis will only carry you so far. And sometimes I think the mind can actually be a barrier to greater understanding. But in meditation, if you can put your thoughts aside and connect with feeling and know how you feel about certain things, that's a form of knowledge, I think, that is much higher in some ways. One question that I've always had, and I don't know, and I didn't read it from your book, I don't really know, but how much of our personality do we get to take with us? Do you have any idea? My understanding is that there's a central core that is eternal, and then there are a lot of, you might call them peripheral traits, both positive and negative, that simply dissipate when we return to spirit and do not continue on. Because that energy, that vibrational energy is lower? Um, for the negative things that we have and that we experience down here and that sort of thing? And so those kind of fall away? It is true that the the lower vibrational energies cannot be carried into the spiritual realm. They simply can't exist there. Uh, But as far as higher vibrational energies or our qualities, um, I I don't really know yet exactly, you know, which parts fall away and which parts carry on. I, I do know that we have a central core that is eternal, though. Which is really comforting to know mm-hmm. that that you get to be who you are, and as you as you move forward through time, and uh, um, it's 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 fascinating work. We're talking with Rob Schwartz. He's written the book Courageous Souls: Do We Plan Our Life Challenges Before Birth? Um, and you know, if you'd like to give us a call, um, is, although um, Tom is off doing something else, so. <laughs> He, he, may, he may not want me to do that, but, uh, um, so, oh, no, he's, 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 he's okay. All right. If you'd like to give uh, Rob a call, if you have a question for him, he, please feel free. This is a, um, a fascinating interview. 425-373-5527. That's 425-373-5527 or 888-298-KKNW. So uh, give us a call if you would like to ask Rob a question yourself or have a comment, um, have a perhaps a life experience or a, a pre-planning experience that you can remember. Because like you said, what was it, 0.54% of, of, uh, 0.56. of humanity remembers such things. That's right. Now, little kids, for instance, my son, when he was three, said to his mom, you know, when I was the parent and you were the kid, those relationships that we have in our life today, maybe, well, almost certainly are carried on from previous lifetimes, right? That's correct. We play every conceivable role for each other, parent, child, spouse, brother, sister, dear friend, murderer, every role you can think of. And, and I see. I just can't imagine being a woman, that kind of thing. But I imagine that we do that, don't we? We do. We we are both genders in uh, many different incarnations. You know, I I cannot like uh, when we talk about reincarnation in general. um, It's for me. It's kind of like I know what it's like to be a short, fat, white talk show host in Seattle, Washington. (laughs) 
I have no idea what it's like to be a tall black woman from Nairobi or to be a, a, a Jewish guy in Israel or to be a Palestinian or to, or any of the other things and the other life experiences that we want to gather and, and, and move forward with. So it's important that, that, that for my money, that's, that's why reincarnation makes sense. And why does it make sense for you? I think for much the same reasons. We want to have every experience. And the reason we want to have every experience is that in the physical realm, growth occurs through feeling. So by having every experience, we can have every conceivable feeling. You know, it's interesting because we think that growth happens through learning and through thinking. And actually the reverse is true. It's for, through feeling. It's through feeling. And that's the gateway to the soul. That's correct. Versus what we think. Because the brain is some is in, in an organ that is going to go away. Is that right? To say that non-physical beings think uh, is a misnomer. Uh, there's intelligence, but not as we conceive of it. Very cool. So if you're just joining us, we're talking with Rob Schwartz, and he's written the book Courageous Souls. And uh, as I understand it now, you went uh, and uh, sought out mediums. Psychic mediums, and you, how'd you pick them? Did they pick you? You picked them? I know you, you, they kind of all came together at once. Well, the four mediums who are in the book have the exact uh, skill set that I needed to access information about people's pre birth plans. So we have Glenna Dietrich, who is a trans channel, uh, channeling primarily angelic consciousnesses. We have Deb Dabari, who is very good at speaking with the quote unquote deceased. And in that case, we could actually ask deceased loved ones, what did you plan with this person and why did you plan it? Corby Mitlead has the ability to channel an interviewee's soul. So I had uh, an opportunity to interview souls directly and say, what did you plan and why? And then there's Stacy Wells, who is listening in on the pre-birth planning sessions and getting the actual conversations. Isn't that interesting? Now, do you ever get um, blocked or um, did, did spirit guides ever step in the way and say, no, it's not best that you know this at this time? That does happen. If I ask a question of one of the mediums that it would not serve me or the readers to know the answer, we won't get a response. Isn't that interesting? So that, does that happen a lot? Very rarely, but it, it's happened on several occasions. And I always respect that because the spirit guides have the bigger picture, a much bigger picture than I see. And if they feel that it would not serve people to have a particular piece of information, I honor that. Now, when we talk about spirit guides, angels, and stuff, are they kind of the same thing, or are they different things? Well, there's there's really only one being in existence in the universe. And every every angel, every spirit guide, every person is an individualized expression of the one being. So it's correct to say that they are distinct, and it's also correct at the same time to say that they are the same. Now, that's getting into quantum physics in, the, in a big way, isn't it? It is, yes. Because uh, ultimately, the uh, energy that is the universe, that is part of everything, that we are all part of the same. It's, it's a very difficult concept for us to understand, because when we're in body, we perceive ourselves as distinct beings separate from each other. But isn't that by design? It is by design. The human brain is designed to perceive separation. And are, we spend our whole life in pursuit of getting back together with other people. That's true. It, you know, it's interesting that the, the soul craves the physical experience, and we who are here in the physical are craving spiritual experiences. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> kind of screwed up, isn't it? <laughs> That's part of the balance of the universe. And absolutely, because it works for both of us or That's right. to, to do that. And, and as I understand it, in the other world, in where there is 
happiness and joy and harmony and stuff without being here to experience the balance of it all and to move those experiences forward, we don't get a comprehensive view of, of, and, of and of the growth. Well, it would be impossible to fully appreciate the harmony if we didn't experience disharmony at some point. See, and that's why we keep coming back, isn't it? That's right. Because cause, cause quite frankly, there are times when I say to myself, you know what? I'm never going to do this again. I'm perfectly happy. I'll be perfectly happy having, you know, getting holes in one up on the other side because <laughs> everything will work well there. Um, but we keep coming back. Not indefinitely, though. At, at some point, you, you will uh, move on to the higher dimensions because you will have learned everything that you could learn here. You know, space and time are illusions and they're teaching tools. And when you feel that space and time have taught you everything you want to learn, you will choose to move on. So now, the universe is a big place. And there are lots and lots of planets. Now, this may be something that, that you haven't delved into, but but we can just hypothesize here. Um, because the universe is a big place. Lots and lots of planets. Lots and lots of places where I'm sure there's intelligent life. Just the sheer odds support that. So is the Earth, it's kind of like, you know the the wicked witch of the west in in uh, in the wizard of oz is this a good place or is this a bad place is this a, an easy planet or a difficult planet i i think earth in many respects is sort of the boot camp of the universe it's a tremendously <laughs> difficult place <laughs> well that makes me feel better <laughs> <laughs> well you can feel better in knowing that you had the courage to come here that you have the courage to see through the life that you planned and that the plan is creating great growth for you. And hence the name of the book, Courageous Souls. Courageous Souls, do we plan our life challenges before birth? Because we do, and uh, um, we are also courageous to come here to put up with this. That's right. Because it's a very dense place that we have. And and if you listen to the Republican uh, um, or the Democratic uh, um, debate tonight, there's a lot of dense people in this place. So... Sorry, had to just throw that in. We're, we're talking with Rob Schwartz. We've just got a couple of moments left with him. So if you do have a question, please feel free to give us a call, 425-373. Catch me off guard there. 425-373-5527, or you can give us a call toll-free in the Western Washington area at 888-298-KKNW. That's 298-5569. Rob, what, if, if, what would you like to tell our audience about your work and about this whole program and everything that you're doing? Well, again, the book is available at www.courageoussouls.com. It's also on Amazon. And you can order it through your local bookstore and your local library. But in terms of a message, what I would want to say to people is, um, as we were discussing earlier, you, you are not your body. You are not your personality. You are not your perceived limitations or your perceived faults. You are a divine, eternal soul temporarily having a physical experience. So I always encourage people to redefine themselves in that way because I believe that mitigates the suffering and helps us to overcome the challenges that we planned. You know, it strikes me that if we looked at each other in just that way that you just described, not as our body, not as our personality, but an eternal soul that is equal and everybody is the same and we're all part of the same universal structure, how would that change the world? The world would be transformed instantaneously. You know, Souls are sparks of God, and personalities are sparks of souls, which means that each one of us is holy. Each one of us is a spark of God. And if we could just keep that idea in the forefront of consciousness, the world would be transformed overnight. 
But then I suppose it wouldn't be nearly as much fun to watch as it is today. It wouldn't be as challenging. <laughs> Just to watch the, 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 the silliness that, that goes on here. Because, but it would, at the same time, allow us... It would allow us to do some things that we, that we can't do today. And that would be like to, to really take humanity to another level. I think we're headed in that direction. I think it's beginning now. I agree with you. And because there are so many people that are doing the work that you're doing and it's been a recent development. I think we're we're in a period now of worldwide spiritual awakening and it will accelerate exponentially over the next few years. So 10 years ago, did you think that you'd be sitting in a radio station in Seattle uh, talking about your book? I had no idea. Did you ever want to want to write a book? You know, I always wanted to write a book, but I had no idea what I wanted to write about. And so this was just, it all came together for It came you. together. Well, from what I understand, the book is, and I haven't had a chance to read the entire thing. I read the excerpts off the, the website, and give me the website again. www.courageoussouls.com. You can also pick up the book by going to kevinmcdonaldpresents.com, and it's in the uh, required reading section. Or, and it's a, it's, a great, it's a great thing. So I appreciate you taking the time to be here. It's been a long day for you. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been great. We're going to be back right after the top of the hour, so I hope you'll hang with us. We've got some more stuff to do in the second half, so we'll be back right after these messages. <laughs> 